continue worshiping together this morning, please rise as you are able and receive these words taken from the gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning in the first verse. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words to them seemed an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloth by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Let us all pray together now. Risen Christ, come again into this place. Pour out your Spirit. May your word be received because of me or in spite of me, O oh God. May your word land where it will and do that for which it is purposed. I pray it in the power of Jesus. Amen. It's common on social media for people to say, I don't know who needs to hear this, but... I'm not sure what prompts these messages, whether it's aggravation or revelation, but my guess is, is that the writer of these posts knows exactly who they think needs to receive what they're saying. And I must tell you, as I rose this morning early, thinking I would do a final edit, on a text I had worked on before, I heard a voice. It was a compassionate voice, but a voice that held a tinge of sarcasm. And the voice said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but So now I'm going to share with you the full message that I received on spiritual media this morning. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it is not up to you to raise Jesus from the dead. It is not up to you to make resurrection happen. It is not up to you to overcome the powers of division and hatred. 
It is not up to you to bring new life to the whole weary world. It is not up to you to make the forces of sin and death surrender and shut their mocking mouths. All of this is not up to you. All of this is God's work. And on today, this work is accomplished. On today, Jesus got up, not because you had done all the things that you've been so worried about doing that you think everything is crucial if it doesn't get done and that your life and your vocation and your very standing in the world and your value in the eyes of God will be somehow challenged if that thing doesn't happen. Jesus didn't get up because somehow you got that thing done. Jesus got up today not because of you, but because of love for you. Jesus got up today not by your strength, by your cleverness, by your creativity. Those are beautiful things, but Jesus got up today not because of your strength, but by the strength of the God of all that is. Yes, the little scheming gods of death and destruction always think that they can worm their way back into control. In their rage at defeat, they try and they try to set themselves up to deceive us, to make us forget, to make us despair, to make us think that violence and control are the way, to make us feel afraid and alone. Those little voices try to set themselves up and convince us that they can wear us out with cruelty and injustice. They try to turn us against our neighbor and against our God to make us believe that our lives end at the tomb, to feel that it's, that it's up to us to save the world and, and to save ourselves because that'll kill us sure enough. And death is what they're after. The little scheming gods of death and destruction are wrong. They're liars, deceivers, cheats, and they are eternally angry that they are no match for the love of God in Christ Jesus. A fourth century Easter sermon by St. Chrysostom, read every year in the Eastern Orthodox Church, proclaims this, Jesus made hell captive. Jesus embittered hell when it tasted of his flesh. It was embittered for it was abolished. It was embittered for it was mocked. It was embittered for it was slain. It was embittered for it was overthrown. It was embittered for it was fettered in chains. Hell took a body and met God face to face. I don't know who needs to hear this, 
But on the first day of the week, the third day after the hungry powers of death claimed their victory, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women came to anoint the body of Jesus. Living under oppressive Roman rule and following the blatantly unjust state-sanctioned murder of Jesus, their rabbi, they would have arrived that morning deeply weary, worn out from the events of the past weeks and past years, and from grief. They would have expected nothing more than a sealed tomb, a dead body, and the slow but certain return of business as usual. What happened when they arrived disrupted their expectations. The stone was rolled away from the tomb, and instead of Jesus' dead body, there were two men decked out in their brightest Easter Sunday threads ready to greet them. At first, the women were startled and afraid, but the two men, like helpful church ushers, provide the most up-to-date information. It's probably information that had actually appeared in the worship guide and on the website and emails and social media, but they were very gracious about it. They made sure that the women got the up-to-date notice and said, you will find Jesus not here, as previously noted, not here in the tomb, but out and about in the world. Maybe you forgot the announcement that he himself made time and again, that he would be handed over, that he would be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Remember? It must have been so difficult for them to remember in the midst of the trauma that they had experienced the injustice, the suffering, the grief, it must have been so difficult for them to even try to believe that Jesus could be alive. Because what if it was proven to be a joke? It must have been so difficult for the women to step out of the tomb, a place where difficult as it was, they knew what they were supposed to do there. And then to be invited to move into a world so radically altered, so uncertain, their own role, unknown. The Greek term for remember in the text, memnesco, means more than just mere recollection. It means something more like to bring past actions to bear on the present with new power and insight. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women whose names are known to God alone took a minute, but they remembered Jesus. They remembered all they'd shared together with him, and as a result, they remembered how he lifted them up and honored their ministry. They remembered his words and his call upon them, and they then emerged from the tomb with new purpose, with a new vocation, with new life. 
The women were the first to proclaim the resurrection and the first to embody resurrection newness in their own lives. Peter and the rest of the apostles take a bit longer to fully embrace what had happened. And while it's sadly typical and not okay that the apostles blow off the women's proclamation, it is okay that the apostles aren't able to immediately remember Jesus' words or to emerge from the old expectation and old ways of life or to step into the new life of freedom that's beckoning. If you know the rest of the story, you know that Jesus doesn't blame or shame them for any of that, and that is very good news. (laughs) It's okay that it took them a minute. It's good news. Because it means it's okay for us as well to take a while to receive the gifts of Easter and fully step into them. From age to age, our God knows, knows our fear and our need, knows our failures and our regrets. God feels the pain right now, roiling through the creation and among people everywhere. God knows the death toll from the pandemics in our world, from viruses and from white supremacy and from gun violence and from poverty and from climate violence and mental illness and willful ignorance and deceit. God knows how hard it is to be human in this world. For Jesus, the heart of God, bears the wounds of the world eternally. God knows firsthand the grief among this gathered human family and among the whole human family. God knows the confusion and the weariness and the flatness and the struggle to feel connected that many of us are experiencing. God knows how hard we try to be good, to be helpful, to do the right thing, to work for justice and for peace, to be kind and loving and wise, to try to hope more and fear less, to be more liberated and alive. God knows all of it. Maybe today you're able to remember deep in your bones the love of God in a way that sets you free to live in a new way, and thanks be to God for that. But it's okay if you're not there today. It's okay if you're not feeling it this Easter. It's okay if you're experiencing a sense of disconnection from things and from people and from God. It's it's okay if you are so weary that you can't manage to keep up with the latest announcements, even when they've been in all the different communications. It's okay if you're afraid of the prospect of something new, the unknown, or if it takes a minute to recognize and claim the new thing that calls you out of the tomb. There's time. 
You don't have to experience new life and purpose or an epiphany on a prescribed schedule or on Easter Sunday. God knows what you're going through, knows your heart and mind, is with you all the way. This isn't your last chance today. Chrysostom's Easter sermon reminds us that God gives rest unto the one who comes at the 11th hour, even as unto the one who has wrought from the first hour. God shows mercy upon the last and cares for the first. Early on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women went to the tomb thinking that every day to come would be like the last day right up until their last, last day. Carrying the same things to do the same work for the same purpose in the same rut, with the same limitations, with the same lack of hope, with the same worry that it would never change for them. They went into that familiar tomb expecting a dead Jesus. And then rubbing their eyes in astonishment, they stepped out to seek the living Jesus, the morning dew sparkling and dampening their feet like baptism as they moved into the first day of their new life. It was the first day they no longer needed to fear death as they had been taught. It was the first day that they found their full voice. It was the first day that they knew, they knew for certain that they were part of something so much bigger than they could comprehend, that they were even incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. It was the first day they embodied more of their own truly created nature, more of their own fullness, as if parts of their deepest being had been liberated from the tomb right along with Jesus. And they knew they could come out. The scheming forces of death never sleep. (laughs) The forces of death and destruction believe that they can keep us trapped in the tomb forever. They whisper their lies in our spirits. They tempt us to hide who we are, to hide who we love, to allow shame and guilt to hold us hostage, to wear ourselves out thinking that the salvation of the world and our own life depends on our meager strength. These forces and these voices want to claim authority over us. And they, like bullies throughout all time, won't and can't admit their defeat. They can't handle the truth that Jesus has won, that Jesus has risen, that Jesus has emerged, that Jesus has been liberated from the tomb. And we ride along with him. That Jesus has blazed a trail for us to follow. And that trail is well-worn. It doesn't go away because there are people time and again who at spirits leading at the right time over all of time stumble out, rub their eyes, and gaze in wonder at the fullness of life that has been gifted to them. 
That trail will be there for you, for every one of you, and for me, every one of us at the right time, when it's time for us to come out or to bring out of the tomb the part of you that may have gotten stuck there. That path will be there whenever you're ready to claim whatever new life and freedom awaits. This day isn't your last chance. However long it takes, God and God's loving promise and resurrection power is not going anywhere. Easter is a promise that you have been gifted a future in which you will be able to bring the fullness of who you are in all of your glory, in all of your beauty, in all of the perfect image of God that is you into the world as a gift to the world and as God's own glory. Each day of your future is the next first day of your life. A new chance every day to receive the invitation of God in Christ Jesus to live more fully and more freely. And oh, what an invitation it is for centuries the same and even unto eternity. Here these words, enjoy ye all the feast of faith, receive ye all the riches of loving kindness. Let no one bewail their poverty for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one weep for their iniquities for pardon has shown forth from the grave. Let no one fear death for the Savior's death has set us free. Jesus that was held prisoner of death has annihilated it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns, life reigns. Life reigns. Don't ever let those other voices tempt you to not receive that promise. Life reigns. Love wins. Love has won. Let our shouts, let our songs, let our sighs of praise and thanksgiving rise. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.